Welcome to Team Futurism. Today I'm joined by Mark Dwyer and Matt Kramer. Two old friends, we've, we've engaged in some uh, literary adventures over the years. Matt was the original editor for Jokes Review with me, and uh, Mark Dwyer is our current art editor. Hello. Um, I do talk about Jokes Review every now and then on this channel, jokesliteraryreview.com. And we previously did a chat, Mark, about AI art. Should um, check that out. Which, which, you know, is kind of like a cool, vaguely optimistic take. Today we're talking about doomerism, um, which is a little bit different. <laughs> no optimism today. No optimism today. None. I'm going to try to, like, fight the good fight of optimism. I'm going to try to, like, you know, argue against the doomer view. But I've been reading a lot about the doomer folks lately. Maybe I'll, I'll tee it up like this. Like, my, my view of the whole doomer thing. And I want to get your guys' thoughts. But I was thinking about this today where it seems a little bit like there are three different perspectives to Doomerism. One is Morris Bergman perspective, and he's the guy that we're going to talk about today, where it's, he's kind of like has this kind of literary and poetic take a little bit about the downfall of American culture, where he will reference the arts, he'll reference, you know, famous authors, these sorts of things to like have his perspective, which is what I do, you know, interestingly enough. Then there is the Eric Weinstein take, where he is full-on kind of talks in conspiratorial jargon, it seems like to me. Yeah, massively. But he says a lot of the same things. And then there's a Peter Zion, who I've been reading his book and following him a lot recently. And he's more just like the global analyst guy who comes to a lot of the same conclusions, but from just a purely global analysis. No, there's no poetry. There's no conspiracy theories. He's just very, like, straight down the line. I resonate with him the most, so I might be channeling some of his arguments today. But um, do you think that that's kind of like a fair analysis of like the Doomer world? Or do you kind of like see that differently as a, as a genre of thought? I don't think that that's a bad categorization. It's, I, I'm not sure that I necessarily would categorize it exactly the same, but pretty much I think that's a good categorization. See, I'm like not that familiar with Morris Bergman because mm -hmm. you told me about him just a couple weeks no, you're, ago. You're and only since then have I like really, yeah. you know pursued his, his stuff mm -hmm. but you know yeah what's what's your take on him well i would say your description is pretty similar to my take on him but okay. i also interpret him sort of in light of and all sort of doomer and like i was saying a minute ago post doom mm -hmm. ideas my, my takes are kind of influenced through the sort of spenglerian view and the cyclical view of uh history what's a spengler yeah that'd be an interesting one to explain well oswald on. spengler okay uh the german philosopher are you guys familiar with him i am not okay no. cool i'm not probably that qualified to speak on him but more than um, us <laughs> maybe <laughs> i've read selections of his uh magnum opus decline of the west oh and, i've heard of that okay yeah, yeah and his book uh man and technics and he talks about different types of civilizations um, and the West largely he calls a Faustian civilization because mm. it's made this Faustian bargain, if you will. Uh, my understanding is essentially with technology. Um, and so I think it fits really well into the conversation around transhumanism and mm -hmm. around where everything is going. Um, right. and then he, as well as my own view, I would say are also influenced by, um, some of the concepts found in Vedic religion. Okay. Yeah, which... So these are cycles. Cycles, right? Wheels within wheels. Right, right. Things turn, things happen again. Yeah, and the Vedic idea has the concept of the Kali Yuga, which um, I think is really... There, there's some issues with the time frame of what that means, because the concept of time in those ideas are, is massive, but I think it's an apt metaphor also. Okay, Kali Yuga is like a yeah. period of doom, right? It's mm -hmm. not a final doom, but no, it's like it's, an age of doom. Yeah, the, it ends in a cycle. It ends with the destruction of everything, uh, and then the renewal, and then it starts all over. With the, yeah. With the, we grew the up... Satya Yuga, which is yeah. the golden age. Well, I mean, like, we grew up with a very linear doom. <laughs> it's yeah. like everything was going to end, there was a final battle, and then it was over. Yeah, Seventh-day Adventist. Yes. Right? Yeah. I know the old Doom scene. Well, you, you I don't know the new Doom scene. <laughs> you described that a minute ago in such an interesting way where they, uh, that group of religious folks, they don't have a mythology that looks backwards, but that looks, looks forwards, forward. which yeah. is so interesting. And they take, you know, all religions kind of have that view of the world is going to end, so follow us, right? Yeah. I mean, you Even know. In the arc. Yeah. Even in the arc. <laughs> right, right, right. So, you know, one thing that 
that I just want to throw it out there early on in this conversation is a criticism of Bergman that I think is a criticism of a lot of those other views and also like you know I, I paint you know Bergman as the guy who like references literature and this sorts of things to like make his points kind of resonate again that's what I do in my writing so I, I'm not like knocking that mm. as a critique as, or as a perspective but um when I, I listened to him on a couple of podcasts and you know one critique of him that just like was just screaming to me in the back of my mind he sounds like he never read Guns, Germs, and Steel hmm. um, are you guys familiar with that book? yeah familiar but I Jared admit Diamond. I haven't Jared Diamond. Yeah. I admit I haven't read it either so he has this view, and this is this is you know very much channeled by uh, Peter Zion, that uh, it's kind of no surprise which countries throughout world history have done well and which have not, mm -hmm. and it has to do with like natural resources and your ability to have uh, deep water ports, things like this. And from from this perspective, America can't ever be a poor nation. It's it's absolutely impossible for us to be a poor nation because of globally no one can invade us because we're on both sides of the coasts uh we have tons of deep we have tons and tons and tons of uh, well compared to any other country in the world right? uh you know how, like we're not I poland feel, in other words yeah exactly yeah. exactly no, we're not landlocked on both sides of the ocean <laughs> yeah two oceans huge oceans big mountains we have our, our one maybe our greatest asset is the mississippi river where we're able yes. to uh, transport grain from the north to the south. There are fertile the, plains. Fertile plains that, I mean... Fertile mountains of majesty. Indeed. There Amber are countries... From there. California to the New York Island. Maybe to take, like, an extreme example of where... <laughs> I know, I, I, could, I could blather about this for a while, but, like, to take a string extreme example to contrast with America. Um, I'm blanking on the country, but uh, in South Africa, <clears throat> there's a country on the... Uh, west side that because of the way that the country is structured they can't have a port there's no there's there's like oh, there's no foggy beaches yeah. and there's no place to have a deep water port and so they can't trade with the world it's absolutely impossible and because of the sand so dunes they can't put up railway throughout their country so they have they've never grown and like you know the millennia of humanity they can't grow America is the opposite of that we are just blessed with a you know Big every rivers. single possible yeah. advantage that you could ever have in a country. Like, Mexico is fucked for a lot of reasons because of this, too, because they, they, they're they so mountainous that they can't have uh, rail seamlessly going to the mm, north or true. to the oceans. So their biggest city is kind of landlocked, and that fucks them internationally in terms of trade. So just because of that, like, sure, we can have, like, these cultural issues, like uh, Bergman talks a lot about, you know, suicide stats mm -hmm. in America and... Uh, you know, literacy and these, these kind of like high level cultural things, but we're the best grain producer in the world or one of them. We, you know, on it, like the things that matter, like we can always feed ourselves. Ooh. Anyway, Sorry. So, so I yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's this is what I'm waiting for. You just said the things that matter. Please. Yeah. Yeah. You said the things that matter. I think that that is a very impactful statement. Okay, good. Because yeah, yeah. what you just indicated with connecting that to grain production, like is this, this is a common critique also that I share with um, a very right-wing thinker, Julius Evola. Um, this idea that materialism is what matters, and I don't know if that's necessarily what you meant to imply, perhaps it is, um, but I think all these other things too, like um, art and education, culture, um, these sort of, for lack of a better word, spiritual, transcendental values, um, I would I mean, surely those matter too, no? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a really great critique. I think that my argument works without putting any value judgments on it, necessarily. It's just that if you look globally, we can, in a crunch, produce a lot of food. Okay, I mean... <laughs> Which we can't... Well, these I are different dudes. I wish we can, in a I crunch, think... produce, y yeah. you know, the military power to get whatever we need to make our iPhones work, whereas Absolutely. China can't. Right. If, if China, like, loses access to certain, you know, points of transport, they don't have the Navy c capable to go retrieve what they need to keep their can, modern economy going. We can continue to hold on to the uh, trade networks with the cobalt slave mines to get our <laughs> technological it's, stuff we I need. mean, like, literally, yeah. They're yeah, like, yeah no, we, we can. Yeah. <laughs> but there's different dooms. There's right. cultural doom. Which is kind of what Bergman is talking about That's, in a way. Yeah. Which and then there's fiscal 
you know, I don't know what like collapse of the Soviet Union would be a good example of yeah. like a material material doom. doom. Or we were talking about Jared Diamond a minute ago, right? Like that's very hard resources that are in decline there. Mm -hmm. So there's yeah. a culture in decline, or is it society as a whole that's in decline? Right. Yeah, and I don't think those are. Yeah, I think, not mutually exclusive. Right, I don't right, think. Right. But I think there are different things. They are for sure. I yeah, they're they're different but kind of the same because you know this is this is they're like definitely connected. Th this is why uh, the the Bergman thing I think is, is relevant of a critique of him because he will imply with everything suicide's out of control and we elect crazy politicians. Ergo, our fate as a nation is in decline. Yeah. And like and then he says that broadly without being like so you know mm. we're gonna produce less cool films next what? decade or you know what I mean like yeah. we've gone through these very horrible struggles in the past and it's always been kind of like yeah and then like in the it was very hard for us in like the 60s so in the 70s literally we made the best films ever you know what I mean like that's that's also a, a perspective of, sure. you know, there's really hard social struggle so then great art comes out of that you know what I mean it's not always yeah. like we really hard social struggles lots of suicide and then our country fell apart. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think there's just thing. I think there's two two important things to keep in mind too with uh, with Bergman. Um, well, not Bergman. Sorry, I think it's Berman. Yeah. And oh, Berman. I'm thinking Ingmar yeah. Bergman. Yeah. yeah. Um, Apologies. I think it's Berman. I don't remember. It, it is. I remember I was I was, Berman, I was right? typing into Google with right. a G and then it. it yeah. Apologies. Me. Right. Um, but yeah, I, uh, one thing I think that's interesting with uh, I think. Berman's book also speaks a lot to the idea of uh, American culture as a global hegemon, too. Right. Because you could, I think it's fairly indis. Well, I think the argument can be made that the world at large is a global American culture. And Peter Zion gets into this thing, too, about um, how this is declining and to an extent, and China right. is about to rise and all this. Stuff. Well, no, he well, he says China's about to fall, and You're America, right. France, You're right. and maybe one or two other countries are going to do well. Actually. You're right. He, he talks about, yeah, you're right. He talks about America kind of doing well in a new way, like reframing the whole European Like post-globalism, we can get what we need. Virtually no other country can, is right. his argument. Yeah. Right. So it's going to be, I mean, so from that frame of view, too, uh, I think it's important to point out in this conversation that this could be... Uh, materialistically at, the, at least uh, an optimistic future for America but rather hellish for the rest of the world where yeah. a large portion of people live which is right. China and India especially right now um, that's where most of the people live currently in yeah. Africa right and Africa yeah. which is you know which is going through very much neocolonialism with China right at the helm. right um, and then the other thing that I think um, was important to point out too is um, so the so yeah so this idea of uh, America as a global culture and then the other thing to it that I think is interesting to note is it's uh, I don't know like America's only been around for a little while is yeah. the other thing that I would want to say like you look at the Roman Empire or the Egyptian Empire these other phenomenons that have existed in the past or even the British Empire and they lasted for thousands or hundreds and hundreds of years respectively right and um we've only been a nation you know for less than 300 years and then a culture as a global culture just really since world war ii right and then the so-called triumph of uh neoliberalism at the end of the 90s um so i think it's interesting to keep it's important to keep that in perspective too that's a very short timeline that we've had here it's yeah. Fine. What What is your guys' take on, like, doomerism in terms of, I guess, our, our culture? Do you think that our culture is just on this downward slide where, you know, a good example is the quality of politicians we can elect, right? Fair point. Seems to be going downhill. Um, I think that's definitely going downhill. Our social media <laughs> is eating away at our kind of like our soul a little yes. bit our, for our youth, especially. Uh, people aren't getting married, having kids. I mean, there, there is this long list. I want yeah. less kids for what it's worth. <laughs> okay. okay well. Part of my commitment to uh, Doomer, the post Doomer world, is I 
I'm a firm. I'm I'm in favor of a massive reduction in human population. Oh, this is oh, this is the maybe we'll return to this or maybe we'll do it now. But <laughs> I would love to. I'm, let's just do it now. This let's is this it. is good. Okay, so so I've like jumped on the I guess it's the Peter Zion and the Elon Musk train of oh, like God. we Sorry. need. <laughs> I fucking hate Elon Musk. I'm, I'm not there a, it is. I, I was a fan until the Twitter thing happened. I, he's, <laughs> I think he's lost me and a lot of people. But, uh, but like really, really great arguments about why the decades we're going to go forward, you know, into is, in, especially for China, uh, it's going to be hellish because of the population decline. Yeah. Um, what say so, you about that? I'm yes. sure you're familiar with it. So yeah, yes. what say you? So true. Um, However, I would also argue that it's become hellish because of the post-industrial population boom. Um, I would argue that the initial way that humanity lived for thousands of years, I'm not necessarily advocating that we go back to pre-industrial society, although I do find those arguments interesting, and I have a lot of sympathy with um, people like Derek Jensen um, and the Earth First movement and these kind of ideas. Back to the land. Which would advocate that. My thought is that the only way to actually make that happen is with a lot less people. Um, yeah. And I would argue that the catastrophes to the natural world uh, already are hellish. Like, we have massive extinction. We live in the what's being termed the Holocene, right? Where humans are... Um, you know, we, have, we, have, we have lost a ton of species globally. Um, the environment is poisoned, really. Like, there's... A new job I'm working now is in... Um, doing technical writing for a water engineering company. I'm learning about PFAS, all these chemicals that are forever chemicals that are in the environment. In the right. Yeah, and they're in us now, too. Yeah. Um, it, and they yeah. can't be extracted. Uh, they're actually working on technology to try to get this stuff out of the environment mm. um, because there's new environmental standards. Uh, and they recently, the I believe it was the EPA, recently found that the original estimates they had in what was safe for those levels is, was drastically higher than what it should be. Whoa. Excellent. Yeah. Like, Excellent. drastically. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, and it's... Uh, so I would argue we've already, you know, for a non-human-centric kind of view, uh, it's already very hellish. And then for um, many other countries, it's it's quite hellish. But I think that... Yeah, I'm... So I'm probably well, going to lose compared most... compared to what? In the sense that, like... I Life on Earth has always sucked, no, whether you're a human or a gazelle. Always, always, always. And environments always change, and not always for the better. The Sahara True. used to be, True. you know, obviously a tropical forest, right. and now right. it's the Sahara. Right. You know, I mean, this is inevitable. Take humans out of it. To an the time scale mm, slows. Right? To, an, to an extent, it's inevitable. I think that... Yeah, the time scale slows yeah. drastically, obviously. First of all, yeah. are we on the same page with believing in human-caused uh, climate change? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, I, right. all that stuff, I figured we're, we're probably right. 100% alive. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, Okay. I, I'm, yeah. Yeah. So I guess I would argue I'm, as a value, I kind of hold balance to be a high value, balance with nature. Interesting. Yeah. So rather than like what's best for humanity as a whole, I hold what's best for the balance as a whole. So, can I can I can I ask a question about that's this? That's super interesting. Okay. Well, <laughs> so I want to go into my ideas on population reduction. I, like. Yeah. I want to get to that next. I yeah. just want to pick this. Just absolutely. Like, you know, a little yeah. pen. I'm going to forget the pens if we sure, go sure, too sure. far. So yeah, we have a lot to again. This is the video, which is great. Plenty of doom. So many of these topics, I'm not like well versed. Me in, too. But uh, somewhat recently, I, I watched an Adam Curtis yes video. I love Adam Curtis. Yeah, me too. It's fascinating, and I I feel like every video I need to watch several times to like digest them. But he had a thing about that about you know uh, ecosystems, mm. and there used to be this this idea you know long ago in the towers of the universities that we need to make sure that ecosystems don't change because they're perfect the way that they are with the inputs and the outputs. <laughs> yeah. And then they studied it and they realized the natural order is for nothing to ever stay the same. Sure. All, everything migrates, soil yeah. you know, changes its composition, rivers change Constant their flow. Flux. And it's not even when, like hundreds of years, it's like by the year sure. environments change. Sure. And so one thing that we were doing wrong as humans, trying to like, you know, be good to the earth, was trying to maintain balance. Sure. And the argument was, again, I've not studied this, but like, that's not how it should be. We should like roll with the flow and mother nature changes and we should be like cool with that. 
I don't know. Well, I w- do you I w- have any, any thoughts about that? I would ag- I would agree with you, okay. um, but I would argue that that's not at all what we're doing. Even yeah, it's even, what kind of changes? I even think, when, is the right, real even thing. when we right. yeah, even when we attempt to do good things for the environment, we are intervening. Uh, do you mean like putting out forest fires? Maybe like we shouldn't do that necessarily. <laughs> I don't know if I would or? go that far. Yeah. I don't I don't think I would even state anything specifically because I'm not an environmental scientist and I don't know enough to make a informed statement. Right. But point being like when we're creating dams and just massively changing the environment we're already putting an impact and then when we go back and we're like oh these chemicals that we've released are a bad idea oh let's engineer this algae to eat plastic and put it out there we are still know doing stuff yeah, yeah. we're still right. doing you're stuff. still messing so with even it even if we're <laughs> trying to if we're trying to bring it back into balance we're still yeah we're still intervening more than we ever did before the industrial revolution yeah. so i would argue you know the merits of the industrial revolution are its own topic um, but I would argue that in this instance, at least, either which way, we are intervening more than we would have before. So right. it's hard to say that we're um, negatively impacting the kind of the flow of things uh, by intervening to try to stabilize it. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. So probably any rational person is on the side of just trying to, going forward, have humans have less of a touch on systems. Yeah. Because everyone probably agrees with that that. minus, like, big corporations, right? Big corporations probably have have issue with that. Um, Well, that's that's all very interesting. What was the grand point you were getting to? I I think I derailed you a little bit. A little bit. It's okay, though. Yeah, sorry about that. The thing I was going to touch on, because you brought up the how, you know, kind of hellish it's going to be for China for their population decline. Right, okay, yeah. What I I wanted to note there is I believe at some point, no matter what happens, we will have a population decline. Um, I'm very much of the school of thought that overpopulation is a huge problem, uh, as an impact on the earth. That idea is really out of favor with a lot of people today, um, especially Elon Musk and people like this, who are, and Peter Zion, who are really concerned about... You put me in that camp. I haven't yeah. made my case sure. yet, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. um, and there's a case to be made for that regarding human suffering. Right. Um, however... Again, going back to this idea of balance with nature, I think that we are out of balance with nature to, theoretically, to humans' favor. Um, I think in the long run, it's less suffering to have humanity be more in balance with nature. And what I mean by in balance with nature, I mean like we should not have a billion people on the planet, much less eight billion. I think we should have, at best, a few hundred million. Um, now, but I mean, that's arbitrary, right? It's arbitrary. Yeah. It's arbitrary. Right. Um, that's a number I'm just pulling out of the air. Because, I mean, like, 10 billion are all right. equally arbitrary. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, the, there's a technique with soil uh, it, that I, I forget a, I forget what it's called. It's something that was invented for enriching the soil in the late 1800s, early 20th century. Um, I think I heard about it on Brett Weinstein, or Eric Weinstein's podcast at one point. And... My understanding is it's what's allowed us to produce industrial agriculture on the level that we can now to sustain right. the population we have. Right. Um, this is nitrogen fertilization. Something like yeah. that. Something like that. You and can take nitrogen from the yeah, air. Yeah. I'm more of the school of thought that we should have a population level closer to what we could sustain before that. Um, oh, like why? For just environmental reasons. Environmental reasons the... primarily. Okay. Um, I think. So that, do you... I think the population level we have now is directly impacting the levels of extinction, quality of life as well. I think that mentally uh, and biologically, we're meant to live in an environment that's not polluted with chemicals. We're meant to live in an environment where we have space, where everybody can have See, land, uh, and we're not on cities. Uh, like this, yeah, this these are the interesting things where I'm, I I want to you know. You know, argue against a little sure. bit because the, these framings to mm-hmm. me and this is what's so interesting i think subtle framings are why people do kind of diverge on these topics sure. a little bit sure. so like the the word they're meant to mm-hmm. my my framing of humanity is that we are meant to tell stories and build things we are building our own universe like we're, we're like the conscious thing in the universe and we are building it to shape our nature that, so that's anyway like, you can that's exist. what we are meant to, that's what we are meant to do we're not meant to conform to nature. We're meant to, like, rise above nature. Ooh, yeah, I strongly disagree. 
But why? Like, why? Because the, the because evidence is that what we do, and we're as a thing that came out of nature, what yeah. we do naturally, like, <laughs> dam, <laughs> dams are built by beavers, like, skyscrapers are built by humans, right? Mm-hmm. We're doing that, but we also have space, we, we, our consciousness is too big for our little, does a know, beaver dam? Does a beaver dam cause a species of fish to go extinct? Does a beaver dam destroy, uh, like, the Yosemite, you know, valley, like the Hetch Hetchy Dam, and all these things. Even even these things, they're they're only negative from a particular human. From a non-human centric view. No, from from like from the human perspective of that thing has value. Nothing inherently has value. I disagree with that. Like meaning, meaning <laughs> is, a, is a thing that the human consciousness no. creates out of thin air. Okay, we have a different belief on that. Well, for sure. well, what. Like explain. Sorry explain. to get so impassioned. I just no no no. no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is what I love. I love the divergence. No, it's great. I no, it, it is very fascinating. It's it's, it's yeah. weirdly subtle. Sometimes, you know, but I, yeah. Well, that's what I think is interesting about your point about yeah. finding framing. Like, because I agree that framing can be where disagreement occurs. Yeah. But then I think there can also be fundamentally different values. And when we find where the framing diverges, we can find like, oh, we have different values. Apocalypse is a frame. And I think it's okay if we have different values. Can I I frame my, like we, I kind of like think I grasp your vision for the future. Can I spell out mine? Yeah, absolutely. And then that'll be the points that we're reaching towards, perhaps. Mark, then then you'll have to tell us where you see. I'll weigh in and tell you who's right. I think that technological advancement is inevitable, uh, and the only thing that's holding us back is just our understanding of physics, this sorts of things. The second we started learning how to tweak molecules and play with atoms, it was game over. We're going to take over the cosmos if you let us. That's game over for our species. That's just what we're, our plan here is to do. That's a video gamer plan. Mm. Um, because it's not you or me, but there's millions of Elon Musks out there that they just like have a brain for these things and that's what they're gonna do and we can't stop that no it's a very that. Carl Sagan to the stars kind of vision that you have it's, yeah? if you just look at all like human cultures we build stuff that's just what we do with the tools at our at our hands and now we know that the tools of the universe are and we're gonna we're gonna build off that so but this doesn't this could go many ways this could go you know a boring, you know, path, Goldilocks, you know, this could also go, we're going to destroy the universe, very likely. <laughs> this could also go, take over the cosmos, have fun, lots of sci-fi books come true. A way that this could go right in our lifetimes, and I think that we can, we can, even in conversations like this, work to make it so it's positive and not terrifying, is I think that we do just have a view that uh, we want an abundance rather than a scarcity of things, but we do that in a way that doesn't cause harm broadly. So green energy is great. Like, like nuclear power t- to me is like the ideal where, you know, you like I even, thoughts on nuclear power. even like uh, solar panels that, that take over large swaths of land bug me because like that was somebody's ecosystem. Some ant lived there and I do kind of have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Whereas a nuclear power plant, it's, it's just by the nature of it takes over less land and has the most bang for your buck. Right. Especially uh, when you do thorium or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, supposed it, to be getting smaller all the time. Yeah, too, yeah there right? are modular nuclear reactors that, yeah. that is a thing. Now, I'm not, I'm not right? inherently opposed to that idea. Yeah. So that's, that's energy, and then we have, you know, food production, a lot of problems with big ag. But, you know, we can, we can learn from the mistakes in the past. We can, there's a lot of things we can do to make that sustainable. And just, like, take everything and just, like, with that, like, you know, liberal, lame, like, you know, preservation of the world mentality, that green mentality, just go forward with all that. And I think that we can have a future where I don't, like... The more educated you get, the fewer children you have. So we're going to peak population and then go downhill at some point. So I'm not worried about population, um, like overpopulation. I just don't think it is a problem. But yeah, I think that like I see the future being we have an abundance of energy, abundance of food, abundance of water. We have these things for a population that is no longer booming globally. And then we start to move out into the cosmos with our intelligence, you know, and then... That, that, that to me is that the main value, by the way. Both of you see fewer people in the future is what's interesting here. That is interesting. Yeah, it is, yeah. Well, I don't know if... Or do you see fewer people, or do you see it stabilizing at a certain number? I'm, I'm only kind of going off of what I've read about this, that it's supposed to peak um, in about 50 years and then start declining. And I've I think heard, that some people do say it's going to stabilize around... I mean, I actually Eight forget, or ten forget or the number. I think it was less than 10. But yeah, yeah, it was less than 10 is what I remember. I think so, too. yeah. Yeah. 
My, um... Yeah, okay. I think the vision you outlined for the future is a hopeful one. Um, I... Let's see. I'll... I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be mad about a Star Trek future, which yeah. is, like, how I'm envisioning <laughs> the way that you're seeing it. That's a good shorthand. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wouldn't be mad about a Star Trek future. I... I think, which we kind of live in, by the way. That's know? true. We kind of live in it. I'm a cyborg right that. now, guys. Or cyborgs. I have a robot I think we should on also, my hip. I think we should exactly. also remember yeah. that the uh, Star Trek future didn't come about without a, uh, in the lore, there was a nuclear war in the 21st century. Right. Is that real? Oh, yeah. Well, real, real in the lore, in TNG. Well, yeah, yeah, but they know everything. So They do, yeah. Because <laughs> we're nervously close to it. They also said yeah. that television yeah. died out as entertainment, though, in the early 21st century, which has <laughs> clearly not happened. Yeah, so. um, can't get everything right, Spock. Right. Well, this was TNG, so <laughs> data, Sorry. actually. Excuse me. <laughs> in episode... No, I don't know that much. <laughs> <laughs> um... But no, like, I, I am sympathetic to the idea of a green transhumanist future to right. some degree. Um, but I think, I think there is an intrinsic value to things and to nature. Um, and I fear that a lot of that gets sacrificed in this pursuit of progress or in this vision of the future. There's... And there's an interesting parallel to me also with the promise of sort of a Star Trek future and a transhumanist um, idea with, a, uh, with the Christian eschatology, actually, as well, mm -hmm. which is both have this hope for a future yeah. paradise of sorts. That's not <laughs> necessarily here. Right, yeah. which isn't necessarily here. And uh, both, to some degree, look to the stars... Um, I, I think a lot of this, if we really got into the depths of the transhumanist vision too, ultimately we have to come at some point to metaphysics and to what the whole point of anything at all is and what we really are. Because if we come to this idea of, oh, we're going to eventually build this better future for humanity and then we're going to expand to the stars the question ultimately comes up, you know, to what end? Because ultimately, yeah. someday the Why? sun explodes and all this. And you can say that's so far away, it doesn't matter. But then, it, you know, if these are, and these are other questions which could lead into all sorts of other In my mind, those are boringly easy to answer questions. <laughs> so we don't necessarily need to get into it, but I mean, it's just kind of like... It's fair. Yeah. People um, find a meaning and they tell a story about yeah, it. Yeah, this is the existentialist right. point of view. Um, which Everyone can very easily find a story that works for them. And yeah. if it's not working for them, they can tell a different story. Yeah. I and agree with you that we're story creatures. Yeah. I would agree with that too. Um, and I think that's a very, I think that's a valid way of looking at which it. Which is why I think that like Christianity and other things aren't going to go away. Because that is a story that works for people. You know yeah. what I mean? You might, do you know the Voltaire thing where he predicted Christianity would end by the 18th century or the 19th century? Oh, well. No, I did not know that. He had like an end date for it. That was optimistic of him. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Obviously, that was optimistic. It didn't really turn out. Yeah, that's true. Um. <laughs> has, a, has a world religion, even remotely comparatively as large as Christianity, ever ended? What about I Zoroastrianism? Mean, oh, that's true. It still exists. Are they around? Yeah. Do you know some, we find some Zoroastrians? Freddie Mercury grew up as a Zoroastrian. Really? Yeah. really? I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah, it's still that's Iran good trivia. Yeah, it's in Iran, yeah. It's okay, yeah. Persia. It's that's very Iran, good yeah. trivia. Right, okay. That makes yeah. me want to learn more about them. Zoroastrianism right. is actually very cool. <laughs> it's very transhuman, in a sense. I could see that. Because they have a uh, part of that, that worldview was that humans have to find answers to their own problems, not just look to God in the sky to solve their problems. Interesting. There's less of this like prayer. It's like, very God, relevant to what we're talking about. It's, yeah, it's, it's more like I'm going to, like Prometheus, I'm taking fire from yeah. the gods and I'm going to create my own civilization. You know. So. I think the counter to the, like, I, I'm, I very much like the Prometheus idea, uh, but I think the counter parable to that of course is the tower of uh the tower of babel right um which is the idea you know everybody comes together i always thought when reading that story that god in that story is kind of a dick though too because it's like all these people come together and they can do anything and in the bible there it even says god is talking in the plural too oh know, yeah because it was written so long ago <laughs> yeah and he's like oh man we better stop this because if they stay together like this, they, there's no end to what they can do. It's almost, that's almost looking at the Prometheus thing from Zeus's from the perspective, reverse. if you will. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, I want to I wanna ask, this is a bit of a pivot, but 
I, I kind of want to ask just on a practical level, I don't know inherently if, let's say, my vision of the future versus yours, I don't know if either of them really have an answer to uh, teen suicide and depression because of smartphones. Like maybe maybe yours, that's helping the population. Issue. Yours does, yeah, right, right. Maybe yours does a little bit in terms of like the, the answer you might give is just like we need to as a culture turn away from those things a little bit, right? Whereas oh, my, I would like to see all of it gone. My perspective, which is more like lame, might be we need to regulate it to some degree or something I don't like think that. That's lame. I, I'm in favor of that. If okay, we're going to have it, I am too. I'm I, in favor of I, that. I mean, regulation is only, you know often, you know, effective on the margins. Yeah. You know, and so it's you have just, to like know that going right, in, right? Right. But, yeah. There's only so much you can do. So what would your prescription be for the ills of American society that uh, Berman like oh, highlights? Man. Like people I mean, don't want to know my prescriptions. <laughs> well this is where it might get fun. What what would you I mean like you're well, not it has like to be, mass suicide rituals or anything no, like that. No, no. It has okay. to be premised on a controlled uh, depopulation though. And that's well, sound... spell that out a little bit. Yeah, fair. Because um, that's a scary <laughs> thing to say given history. Yeah. Uh, yes. So again, like I said, people don't want to know my prescription. <laughs> um, but I think there's a, and again, this gets really tricky because everyone that's tried to control society throughout history, from the Nazis to uh, the Maoists, have, and the Soviets, you know, have. It's always central never, planning doesn't work. No, there's it's never an instance where it goes well. Yeah. Um, what, what my solution would be though I mean I feel like I feel like you could have I, I don't claim to have the plan but I feel like you could plan a way in which you're like alright we're planning to uh, depopulate not by killing people but you're by incentivizing yeah incentivizing people to not have children or whatever and rewilding the land restoring places to their to a more natural state trying to bring back species allow like rewilding the land, depopulating in this way, and we'd have to come up with a humane and ethically acceptable way. Which there is a way to, there's a way to do it, actually, and it's actually pretty easy, mm. and it's educate women. That's, that's the way that you decrease populations. Regarding birth control and things like this? Or Just what? education, higher education, mm. uh, when there is education well, and a workforce for women. I'm very for women, in, in favor of expanded it's, education, it's for sure. childbirth plummets, and we've seen this across the Western world. I think we'd have to get into what the actual correlation of that is, though. Because I so agree you think, with you. But you're thinking that it's enough to get us to the right level of population that people will self kind of decide. I just, I just think that like, right education is inherently a good thing, and if it has as a result that there's, you know, women are no longer having seven kids, mm -hmm. then that's a pill. I think some better worse you gotta swallow. I, I think, think some of that though is because of how it's inherently tied into the industrial capitalist system, which is they get educated. They have less time to do these other things and they go into the workforce and they're you know which is just the world we live in now but mm -hmm. it's also then you're hyper sort of uh pressured to have to achieve and do these things whether that's what you want or not um not that yeah. anybody's forcing you into well you can you can you still have forced your cake you, you can still get educated but be catholic and still have 10 kids you you can yeah, like but how could you balance both, that but, you know yeah, I mean, if you live in certain states or countries, you kind of sort of can't. If you live in California, like, good luck. Yeah, like, right. exactly. Right. Yeah, and I would say California seems to be more the way that the future is going to. Yeah. And if we look at, you know, Silicon Valley and all these things, one of the things that is the most terrifying vision of the future to me is looking at San Francisco and the Bay Area. You see this disparity of these ultra-rich, and then you see people just literally shitting in the street. Yeah. And it like I personally I don't really even like going to the Bay Area anymore because of how Blade Runner it looks to me. Yeah. And if that's the that's fair if, that's, if that's the future that we're going into with transhumanism, that I definitely don't want that. I think that San Francisco and LA are a very particular case. I I, I mean I'm not entirely because you can look at New York City and they handle their homeless population wildly different yeah. because it freezes in the winter and no one can sleep outside. We, with the ACLU and everything, kind of like pretend like, oh, it's your personal freedom to sleep outside. Whereas, what like, a freedom. And right? it's just because <laughs> you're not... You freedom to suffer. It's what just because you're not going to freeze to death. Like, the second San Francisco starts dropping below zero in the wintertime, ACLU and everybody's going to be like, get them off the street immediately. Don't, and don't, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, what you do. I mean, we have like, the that, same issue in Sacramento, though, in the summertime with the heat, yeah. right? And, oh, you're right. And it's yeah. weirdly framed, though. Again, like you said, it's weirdly framed as like, oh, don't bother the homeless people. Let them be homeless. And it's like... 
This is, we have to find a solution for these yeah. people who are suffering. This is this is particular to the California ideology, which is that live and let free be cool, man. You know, that, yeah. that's built yeah. into the ethos of this particular yeah. state. It's very libertarian. I think that it, it yeah. is, yeah, in this very Silicon Valley even. Yeah. I think that that is particular to... <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, to, to the, Cal, the California thing. I mean, I, I don't know. I was recently talking to a guy who lives on the East Coast, and we were talking about... He worked for Michael Schellenberger on his campaign a little bit. And I was asking him, well, how's the homeless population out there? He's in, like, Virginia or something. And he was like, oh, it's, it's not even a thing. Like, <laughs> it's just kind of like, yeah, there are ways to do this. I was yeah. like, okay, all right, that's a good perspective. <laughs> yeah. You can help people if you want to. Right, yeah. 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 If you prioritize it as a society. Yeah, rather than having multi-billion dollar, multi-million dollar nonprofits that are there to just, like, kind of feed themselves rather yeah. than actually help, helping the homeless. I think that stuff's yeah. really... I'm very uh, cynical on the California homelessness oh, topic. Oh, no, me too. come too. from San Francisco. Well, <laughs> like, you know, the thing about San Francisco, too, that's funny, line. is that, like, if you go to certain neighborhoods in San Francisco, you'll never see a homeless person, and you all think that it's, like, hippie paradise. Like, it's because they're not allowed in there. Walk through <laughs> Noe Valley, you know what I mean? Or really even cool. parts of the Castro where you're not going to see any homeless people like at a cafe in Noe Valley. You're just not going to. Not in the Presidio. But if you, if you <laughs> on 24th Street, if you walk down to Mission, uh, down to 24th and Mission, um, a couple blocks from Noe Valley, yeah, it's everywhere, but like there are ways to never see a homeless person in San Francisco, which is just also interesting. Yeah. You know, also kind of interesting. Yeah. Which is also kind of the policy that people put in. Yeah. The policy just addresses the visuals of it's the problem. It's the NIMBY thing. That's yeah. Not in my backyard. Is. As long as I don't see it, I don't want to see there. the problem. Right. Yeah. Move right. the problem away. Right. Problem can be by the side of the freeway. So we, we've talked else. a lot about, about I think, the, uh, the Berman view and maybe a little of the Pierre Zion view. You know, we haven't, you know, the, the third person on this triangle, in my mind, uh, was Eric Weinstein a little bit, and he's like the conspiratorial person in this in this view, no. where yeah, he's, he's a, a little bit about like he's a nut. He's a, he, I think he's kind of a genius, but the, in, in a, exactly. I think he's <laughs> really disagree. I'm I so interested now. I don't I think know this person. Oh my god! Consider yourself lucky. Well, I okay. I'll throw it out there. I have less than zero respect for Brett Weinstein, his brother. I have a lot of respect for. Is Brett Weinstein the, is the wrong word. Is he the COVID conspiracy one? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's who, I'm sorry, that's oh, who I'm no. thinking of. Okay, okay, yes. I, I, yeah. I, yeah, so Brett I, Weinstein, I take back what I said about the other one. I, Yeah. He's a straight-up internet grifter. In he's a grifter for yes. sure. thank you. Whack cheers cheers to that. I still yeah. follow a lot of people on, on Twitter, yeah. unfortunately, who still kind of like think he's legit. Oh, my God. I thought he was really interesting for a little bit. He and, was. And then I yeah. saw, like, I saw he was just clearly grifting. He had yeah. made up his mind from the beginning... And he just went with it. Using like, semi-non-legitimate studies yeah. to, like, say that ivermectin is God's yeah. gift to humanity to solve yeah. COVID. Oh, Christ. my God. Dumb shit. Dumb yeah. shit. But, no, fair enough with his brother. Like, yeah. Did you I, know Eric Weinstein? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so no, he also has the, Yeah, I find it more interesting. He has a, that conspiratorial mindset and framing, mm. interestingly. He will frame things as if it's a global conspiracy, you know, he'll, he'll talk about Davos or the whatever. Globalists. That type of shit. Oh, no, just he's, kidding. He's not Alex Jones. He's not, like, really off of his rocker. No reptilians. he... Yeah. <laughs> but he will just, in the language he uses, make it sound like uh, everyone in the American government, for example, knew that globalism was unsustainable, and they've just lied to the American people about it being the sustainable thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to tank, as our economy is going to tank in the next 20 years, and they are keeping this the, the information Jesus. secret from us. That's like That's his perspective. perspective. He says like the kind of same things, or the same broad strokes analysis that Peter Zion has about mm-hmm. globalism for various reasons, ending population collapse, blah, blah, blah. But he has that phrase. What is your take on that conspiracy view? Oh. It sounds like you're not into it. No, my take me. on that is yeah. I think it's too convenient. I think yeah. my take on large like scale most conspiracies. Yeah, my take on large scale <laughs> conspiracies is very much um, something that Terence McKenna said in his in a speech a while back. Like the idea that the Freemasons or the Jews or you know whoever is controlling everything, it's or the Illuminati or what have you. It's this. It's coming from this place of fear, which fears the idea that no one is in control. Someone must be controlling right. it all. Which, the truth of the matter is, no one is in control. Right. No one knows and what's that's going way on. Scarier. We are here on this planet just figuring it out right. from the existentialist point of view, coming up with our values, deciding how we're going to do things. There's no rule book. No one is in control. There's no grand conspiracy. There's 
lots of systems and lots of things that are interacting with each other. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea that people, that somebody has known how everything would go, it's a very comforting thing to think. Yeah. Even yeah. though it sounds scary. And if only it, there was a good person yeah. controlling everything. Or even, even if it's a bad person, it's comforting to some degree. Someone like, can control everything. At least someone is driving the car. At yeah. least right. someone is in control. Right. It's much scarier to think we're here all alone and there is no one in control. Right. This is but a I tangent. think that's the truth of it. I this is a tangent, but like I always would watch these crime shows, mm. you know. And the crime show is the fantasy of like they have the crime lab, mm. and they're like twenty yeah. guys working on it, yeah. and they have like they're check for semen. It. Yeah, enhance, <laughs> enhance the file, right. make it larger. But it's this fantasy that there's someone who's totally in control. Yeah, and right? there's someone who can handle every step of an investigation. Yeah. No one's in control. It never happens. That is like, that is why they're like Sherlock Holmes is. So yeah. satisfying because he is actually yeah. in control. And it's so satisfying to watch. I think that there's a little bit of a personality trait associated with who will buy into that view of the world mm -hmm. where someone has... I mean, you know, I grew up very conservative and I think that that was part of that conservative mindset a little bit. Was mm -hmm, just definitely. Like, and that's why, you know, conservatives, I think, God bless them, are so easy to get riled up on any given topic whether it's, you know, drag shows or... It, like anything. Who's controlling it's this? It's so easy to rile, <laughs> rile them up because there's that fear thing. There's that, like, fear. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I have no time for that conspiracy, like, framing either. Although, you know, it is interesting when a conspiracy turns kind of legit, kind of true, which happens every now and then. I, I don't know. I don't I have, know if you guys have any pet conspiracy theories. I, there, there are conspiracies in the world, I would say. Oh, yeah. But there's no grand conspiracy of, like, yeah. controlling everything. Yeah. And if, if there is, it's probably pretty mild and tame. Like, Davos has on their website uh, some framing about how we this is our grand vision for humanity. Like, they frame it almost like that. Yeah. It's but an unfortunate not... framing, but it's also, like, super, like, oh, let's get people education. You yeah. know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Well, and also, they're there. not actually in charge of everything secretly. Exactly. Which right. is the big conspiracy thing, right? Like... Yeah, like, okay, this will probably come as no surprise, but I'm a huge fan of, like, what's written on the Georgia Guidestones until they got blown up. I what's written on the Georgia Guidestones? There's a population is thing. Of a reference for you? No, I've... You know about this. Okay. There's like a, and there's, like, a population thing. Control, well, yeah, yeah. You... yeah, there is... No, no, by all means. So, as I understand it, there are instructions mm -hmm. that were on these large tablets that had, like... I don't know, what were they? said something like, maintain the population at 500... Yeah million or something it was mm. supposed to be like some weird you know testament for the future yeah after can, the bombs drop after, after the, the bombs, bombs drop, drop and it's us against us this would stand as a monument to how right. we should organize our society yeah. but it didn't it got blown up it didn't survive the bombs no it didn't survive some Q&A guy where was this in America in Georgia in Georgia yeah. I, the Georgia Guidestones I missed this somehow. this is a worthy story yeah. for you okay. check out the Wikipedia entry it's Fantastic. While nice. we're on this conspiracy theory topic, where there are people who would do stuff like blow up the Georgia Guidestones right, right. just because they believe Well, because it looks conspiratorial. It's like, oh man, this is proof. In, I was reading this Berman book that we've been talking about. Yeah. And this book is from like, what, 95? 99. 99, okay. Pre-9-11. Pre-9-11. Which is wild. And he has this just despairing take. And you look around now <laughs> with conspiratorial thinking in the United States... I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, one thing about Berman that, that I think is just like, I think it may be too easy of a critique to, to, to give, but um, I listened to a couple of his podcasts. Some of them were quite old, and it's just interesting, like, of course, like on any given take, he's like, oh yeah, we're going to have another 2008-style crash in 2013. That's like, it's, it's very, he gives, the, gives these very always kind of a bummer prediction. Mm. Like, most of them are wrong. You know mm. what I mean? Which is also just kind of like, well, that's his, that's his thing. That's his, that's his view. Sure. Know, that's why he's, how he sells books. He's not going to sell as many books if he's kind of like, yeah, the future is kind of like, eh, for America. It's going to be great in some ways and bad in other ways. You're going to sell he's, some books. He's just focusing Doom! on the, the bad things. And a lot of it is just like, so you can like, have some confirmation bias in there. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Which is also, I get it, because like this is why we're referencing him, because he represents a thing, and yeah. that's what makes it valuable. So you know? another thing I want to note that I don't, I don't think we have time to get into, because it's a, another hour, at least, of conversation. <laughs> okay. But, um, <laughs> we can do cliff notes on it. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. the idea of post-Doom. Uh, I want to hear this. Yeah, yeah there's a conversation. Well, there's a podcast called Post-Doom with Michael Dowd. I believe is the guy's name, hmm. and he talks about this idea of sort of accepting collapse and then like how to sort of psychologically and spiritually adapt to that. 
Um, that's all I have to say about that. I just think it's an interesting way of framing, like where you have the idea that there's going to be all this negativity, but you're not upset about it. Like mm-hmm. you kind of, you're like, okay, but you're not going to just go be a, because the classic idea of a doomer is someone who sees all this awfulness coming. I'm going to get mine. Well, and hides away. There's that, or right? they even just give up and they're just right. like waiting, you know, just waiting till death, basically. Uh, Berman referenced some group of uh, young folks in Japan who just, rather than participating in the you know, yes. doggy dog workforce, they just hide out in like a little community and play video games all day long because they have given up. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's, is, there's people do drugs in America too. Exactly. Right. There's a phenomenon in Japan of the I think it's called the he, Hidori men or he I don't that know might have been what he's talking about where right? they yeah. just don't even come out of their rooms for years. I think that that was it. Jeez. Yeah, I think that that was it. They're just on. alone. Yeah, like you said, playing video games and it's very disturbing but that doesn't doesn't have to be how the future is and the like i think what your your point being with transhumanism like you don't it doesn't have to be this technical dystopian future it can technological dystopian future it can also be you know there can be sort of a green optimistic solar punk is this kind of idea yeah well you know what's actually kind of interesting (laughs) about my vision here is that it, it does actually kind of i think very much like form fit with yours about like what humanity will be doing day to day and i think this is just what is happening right now with technology is it's so easy to go down to any store anywhere in the universe and buy a mug right but you know i have i have a friend who does pottery and several of my favorite mugs in my cabinet were made by her by mm. hand you know i mean and that is it's satisfying for her to make it's it's genuinely fun it's also you know economic and it adds value to my life and maker culture is awesome and i think that you know as technology you know presumably takes over more and more of our lives maker culture is gonna just keep exploding this value in making you know things I mean? ourselves even if we're we can make them easier. you know by a lot of pain I'm, I'm gonna join you on this it's, <laughs> it's, maker i hate to break it to you mark but it's not like you can't you know i can't argue with that print out a picture you know from the internet no, I know. It's, it's so much more valuable we got to make chat it, gpt right? now as writers like exactly yeah. Yeah. so our thing's gonna go away too but like you said the maker <laughs> culture thing where it's like oh this is cool this has inherent value because it was made by a human so right. um I'm, I'm right now i, I don't want to you know, kill this tangent to death, yeah. but uh, I'm right now writing a piece for the Jokes Review blog about uh, Nick Cave's um, coffee table book of his all of his notebooks. Oh, nice! And it's like a cool really coffee like table it. book, and I really like it. But my take yeah. on it is actually that like flipping through the coffee table book is kind of lame because yeah, it's his cool notebooks and it's fun to see his handwriting, but it's on this glossy page mm. that's mass produced and that's it's actually, and my take is like, you feel like authors right like save your journals because they are priceless. Yes. Like even if no one will ever see it, like that's the cool authentic thing and it's just like inherently like so, it's, it's mm. going to fade and it's alive whereas when you put it online and it's just not as cool, it's just not, you, you, you're going to want to flip through it not like, you know, live it. Yeah. And that's just like a fact of life, I think. Yeah. Anyway, that that's I'm never gonna argue with you that the thingness of the thing has value. That oh, the thing yeah. attached to its right. story has value. Yeah. Right. I think we all agree on that for sure. I mean the uh this was, you know, just a note in my piece, but the uh most expensive book ever sold, I think still to date, is Leonardo da Vinci's um text that Bill Gates bought for like thirty million dollars. Wow. I mean like he no one's buying <laughs> like you go online and you just yeah. look at the same thing. It's, but he bought it because it's 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 awesome. the thing. You know, it's yeah. a thing. He touched yeah. it. You know, that's... Have you done, has he done, like, a rare book auction kind of thing? Looked at all the rare books? No. It's a really neat thing. And it's the but same that, thing. Like, you could get a thing at Barnes & Noble. It's the exact same text. But it's neat to see a first edition. Interesting, yeah. I don't know. I'm with you there. That I have a cool couple of first editions that I do, like, very... Like, just inherently a value. Yeah. Very highly. Um, what, so, you know, doomerism. <laughs> how do you write so, this up as a... Thomas. Can I can I jump in here? Because I think I yeah. see if I'll summarize my opinion of okay. the two dooms yeah. that I hear yeah. here. Give us the word. So it seems to me that what Matt is talking about is a kind of like back to the land thing that's necessary for the future. I don't think it will happen though. It won't happen necessarily, but for there to be a good future, a good future that you can imagine is like agrarian, there are fewer people. There's a closer relationship with nature. It's one one good future. It's almost like a going backward kind of thing, right? 
I would frame it a little differently. Fair enough. I think there is no way to go backward, but I would That's say there might be a way to go... kind of what I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, would I, don't there, think... I would say there might be a way to go forward forward to the land, if you will. Forward to the land. Yeah. Because Pete, what Pete is talking about is very forward thinking. Yeah. Like, no matter what kind of environment that people can live and make stuff in is valid, in your mm. vision, I am hearing. Yeah, so sounds good. So it doesn't necessarily have to be in relationship with nature as things were in traditional times. Right. You envision a future where you can find and make value in different ways. Right. Yeah. I would I would say that's true. Yeah. I mean, I do think that we are, you know, not to get all reductionist about it, but we are, you know, just pieces of chemistry and biology yeah. that we do just like to get the dopamine drip. You know what I mean? That's the, we're kind of there for the dopamine drip. But I think that like the most satisfying versions of the dopamine drip are out there in the real world. Yeah. You know, which is where I kind of meet. I think we can agree. I think we can agree on the last part of the statement that you yeah. made. Like I, yeah. I don't think we agree necessarily on what we are in essence, like to the reductionist point of view. But um, yeah, I think we agree with that. Can I can I ask? Uh, you said just a second ago you don't think that's how the future is going to go. How no. how can I ask? How do you think the future is going to go? I think the future is going to go much more the way that you are believing it's going to go, but I think it's going to be quite dark. Well, you know... I don't think it's going to be a solar punk future. I think it's yeah. going to be a Blade Runner future. Okay, well, this, this is where... I think where... it's going to be a Matrix future. I think the algorithms okay. are going to become supreme and... Um, yeah. You, you know, see I'm... bad stuff on the horizon. I see, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm not even fully, fully like, in disagreement with that. I mean, my, my one point that I would say is there are... Oh God, what's the number? Uh, Eight billion souls on the planet Earth right now. It's a fraction of them that live well. And so it is the yeah. ultimate hell for the vast majority of people currently right now. But it's kind of a better hell than it was even 100 years ago. But it's still very bad. This work. is the Stephen Pinker thing. I think that could be argued. In but. India, I think, it, I forget which city it was, but uh, one of their major cities, there's, there's a slum that is larger than the population of New York City. And it's one in 50 people has a toilet. Right that's now, bad. you know, population of Manhattan. Very yeah. And that's the, 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 you know, we're not even talking about like access to And what was it like there a thousand water. years ago is my question. Was it worse or better? And that's the thing. I think it was it's probably It's still better. hard to be a subsistence farmer. Arguably, really, maybe better. But yeah, you're, you're tied to the land in the sense that you're going to experience a famine. That's going to yeah. yeah. You're going to have more of a relationship with the land too, though. You're going to respect it and revere it. And, and the land might strike you down. It might. The land might yeah. swipe you off the it earth. Might. Child mortality is probably, it you know, it, it's 100 years ago, child mortality is 50-50. You're right. going to die. Um, in India, right now, I don't know. Maybe it's not that. I don't know. Yeah, there are different metrics. There are different yeah. metrics, right? right you right. look at. So right, who right. knows? You'd have to look at a lot of them, I guess, to right. make that assessment. But um, you guys have read Stephen Pinker, yeah? Yeah. I so, can't bring myself to read Stephen Pinker. That's fair. I've watched some Stephen Pinker <laughs> lectures, though. He's an His writing thinker. is pretty boring. I don't it's agree boring. with him, but he's an interesting thinker and an intelligent man. See, he's much smarter. See, than Eric Weinstein thinks that he is completely <laughs> off base, and Eric is an anti. Stephen Pinker, which is Jeez. interesting. I'm much more Stephen Pinkery, because. But yeah, I want to. Maybe we can. Yeah. There's yeah, one idea know. that's interesting in Stephen. I, I read Enlightenment Now, and there's okay, yeah. one part of Enlightenment Now where he's talking about doing like a back to the land kind of mm. thing to solve problems. But he says no one's going backward. Right. Yeah. No one's reducing their life. You know their lifestyle. Right. right. Yeah. No one's consuming less. No one's going to consume less, even if it is what we need to do. No, of course To ensure not. human thriving. Of course not. No right. one's going backward. Of course not. And, like, it's one thing for us to say, we're three white men in America, and say, like, oh, what the world needs is to have less. What is it for us to right. say, no. you should have less? Right. You know, we've had everything. Right. We've had every advantage this planet can give us. So what would it be for us to say, you know, you know what, for thriving, you should, well, this do, is, you should make do with this. This is where we get into my rather it's a dark prescriptions for the future. Yeah, yeah which exactly. Which I won't actually give, but... <laughs> because to give them is a pretty harsh thing, right? Like, yeah, it's pretty hard gonna, for us to stand there. I'm and not going to be the one to uh, outline what I think might be necessary on the record. But I mean, there has to be a way that you can move forward in kind of what you're envisioning for the yeah. future that doesn't involve making those kind of judgments. Sure. Like maybe technology can solve some of these problems. Who Again, knows? this is well, the this is the eschatological hope of yeah. humanism. Right. Fair. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I do think that there are a swath of metrics to look at whether humanity broadly is doing yeah. better or well. I mean, 
Absolutely. We can really kind of only talk about in terms of America, in terms of our experience. Yeah. And right now, America is like, you know, I hate the word. We're even wealthy Americans. Spiritually right? doing poorly, right? I think like our, our youth and, and everything. Spiritually, we're not doing well. Right. And that is something that I do think that I, you know, this is one of my prescriptions that's a little bit bleak or whatever, but I think as soon as the boomers leave politics, <laughs> I think that the millennials are going to do a better job of governing. I sure a, hope so. In a way that, like, gives healthier to people in a better, you know. That's not wood. That's Damn not it. Damn it. <laughs> there we go. But that, that's, I think, slightly inevitable because the boomers had it too good. They had it too good. And they don't know what it's like to not be able to buy a house and right. afford childcare and blah. They, they did true. not have that in their experience. You could work as a teacher and buy a house. 50 years ago you can't do that today maybe in like like Alabama you can yeah. in certain like where property values are low I don't know but like the general millennial is suffering we're poorer than our parents and that's that's right. gonna make us have a different perspective on politics yeah like, I think you could well be right on that whether you're right or left I think yeah. that it will actually make us more yeah. in line in tune with um, you know less less selfishness I think in politics I Hopefully. hope so Hopefully. I hope so yeah well, we, we actually did we did all of that uh, without really talking politics, which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we do that another time. I we should do it another time. Yeah. I actually think that we might actually agree on politics a little bit we too might. much, but we might. we'll we'll take that up again yeah. another time. All right. Can I say this was fascinating to see? Because oh, yeah. what I really wanted with these contrasting perspectives <laughs> to hit each other. This is a great conversation. <laughs> well, very good. That's good. We'll I would to love to talk again. politics with you sometime. Let's do it again because I actually yeah. genuinely don't know where we stand. Um, Same. Almost anything. Which let's is, do another. Which is let's great. do another podcast if we'll, you'd like. We'll do another one. I'm down. We totally will. Till next time. Till next time. Thanks, guys. Yeah. yeah.